Welcome to our website. This is Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen. And this is content in audio format pre-recorded, loaded to our website, to be presented live on Sunday evening, April the 19th. We are again, as we have done many times on a Sunday evening, answering a request to deal with a very specific passage from the Old Testament record of the life of King Saul. So have your Bible ready in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 through 11. I'll give you a moment. Please find in your Bible 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 through 11. An interesting and dramatic narrative in 1 Samuel, and this is about the story of King Saul. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 11. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now, there is an immediate question that comes up here. What is this about where it says a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul? Why did God do this? What is this all about? That this is part of the story of the downfall of King Saul is apparent. That anger and jealousy in Saul's heart was a factor in this, there isn't any doubt. The part that may at first seem to be difficult is that phrase, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. We're going to talk about that tonight. But of course, we need to back up now and get well in mind the larger picture here about the reign of King Saul. That background will help us understand the passage under consideration. So let's talk about this man, King Saul the first king of Israel on earth after the people asked for a king. Thirty years old when he started to reign, he had a 40-year term as king. He was the son of Kish, and not everything in the Bible account of Saul is bad. In fact, at the beginning of his time as king, Scripture documents some good things about Saul. And for the first-time reader, it creates some hope. There was the pressing mission of uniting tribes into a nation. The book of Judges documents the chaos, spiritual, civil, 
every man doing what was right in his own eyes. Strong leadership was required going into office, and Saul started strong. It might be said he got off to a good start, but he didn't finish well. He didn't finish strong. But early on, there was hope. There was a victory against the Ammonites at Jabesh-Gilead. This is found back in 1 Samuel 11, way before the passage we read. I'll walk us through some of this to get the main idea. Nahash, the Ammonite, besieged Jabesh-Gilead, issued horrible threats, and Saul became aware of this. When Saul found out, verse 6 of 1 Samuel 11 says, The Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. Saul gave warning to all the territory of Israel. The dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and the Bible says they came out as one man. As the army was mustered, it says the people of Israel were 3,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. Warnings were issued to the enemy. The next day, Saul arranged the people in three companies, and they defeated the Ammonites. When this victory was known, the people asked Samuel to have those opposed to Saul executed. Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. That shows mercy, and he attributed the victory over their enemies to the Lord. They sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. All that sounds sounds as it ought to be. As military challenges occurred in that time and place, this appears to have been handled well. So here is a leader who begins well, and there is some hope. Earlier, in 1 Samuel 9.21, some humility is expressed by Saul. He said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? The tribe of Benjamin did not have a pretty history. That may be part of what Saul is admitting here. It does express an element of humility. Here is a man of humble background, in fact, anointed as king while searching for his father's animals. He did not really seek the office. Previously, there had been a failed attempt at leadership, though perhaps informal, with the man Abimelech. Saul begins well. The kingdom is united, and perhaps all the projections would be positive after this victory. So, what happened? Well, we don't have to speculate. It isn't that we have the beginning of the story and then the end of the story with nothing in between. The Bible gives us all this information about what happened to the man. The Bible tracks the steps of Saul into ruin. Saul's downfall is well documented in Scripture. We brought up 1 Samuel 9 and 1 Samuel 11. Now you come to 1 Samuel 13. I want you to listen to this in 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 14. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. 
They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Well, you can see the problem. No need for lengthy exposition of this narrative. Saul got in a hurry, acted on impulse, thinking he needed to seek favor from the Lord by doing what was unlawful. Samuel's rebuke is written here with simple clarity. You've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God. Call this impatience, pride, impulsive, all those words apply. Saul became proud, self-sufficient, defiant. Well, here's another case. 1 Samuel 15. This may be the most well-known example of Saul's downfall. 1 Samuel 15. I want to summarize this episode, and I'll quote parts of the story from the text. The Amalekites had been brutal toward God's nation Israel, and God had promised to destroy this idolatrous nation, which we must regard as God's sovereign right. Samuel tells Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king. Now, therefore, listen to these instructions from the Lord. I'm going to read this in 1 Samuel 15, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul had his orders. 
given with the highest level of very specific clarity. But here's what happened. I'm continuing in 1 Samuel 15 at verse 4. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we've devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours, who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house in Gabeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. There is so much in this passage we could dig into. But these episodes are sufficient to show us the pathway King Saul had taken away from humble service to God. As you continue in 1 Samuel, Saul sends out assassins to murder David. In a bizarre scene, he is consulting a witch at Endor. If his reign started well, it didn't end well. So, with all this summary and background and history, we go back to our question. And you remember our question centers on that passage in 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 11. In particular, the statement that a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now we have all this historical background. We're in a better position to address this matter of this harmful spirit from God. I want to say three things about it from the whole context we have considered. One, this was not arbitrary. When we look back into Saul's history, it is very clear God was reacting in 
his perfect sense of justice to Saul's rebellion. Rebellion that was repeated. Similar to God's reaction to Pharaoh earlier in the Old Testament, similar to God's reaction to sin as documented in Romans chapter 1. I'll say this, never in Scripture are we told that God randomly or arbitrarily punished someone or harmed someone who was ready to repent. It is important to know this about God. And in this regard, I'd like to bring up Hebrews 11 and verse 6. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Saul was seeking a witch, not God. Saul was rushing down this pathway of self-interest, self-exaltation, ignoring God repeatedly. I say again, never in Scripture is there a case where someone inclined to repent, wanting to repent, was forbidden to do so and punished. Number two, when we speak of the sovereignty of God, His perfect sense of justice and authority, when he decides to do something in response to sin, what he decides to do is not for us to second guess. We are not God's consultants. Once we have formed in our minds an informed concept of truth about who God is, once we become acquainted with him from Scripture, we reach a point where we know if God did it, it was right because he defines what is right, what is just, and what is fair. Even if we may not be able to process some verse or some statement, we go into every difficult passage knowing God was right, even if I don't completely understand it. Now, it is really hard to get this across to people who do not have a well-informed concept of who God is. Information about who God is and conviction of who God is forms the basis of our navigation into such difficulties as this. We know God is always right, even when we do not fully comprehend it. Three, whatever you conclude about this passage, this cannot be God causing evil. Punishing evil, yes. Causing evil, no. And I say that based on a very clear statement in the New Testament in James 1 and verse 13. James 1, 13, God does not tempt someone with evil. He doesn't ever cause evil. See, you take with you into every passage in the Bible certain foundational truths or axioms, and one is God never causes evil. God causing evil is not what is happening in any passage that we come to anywhere in the Bible, even though that passage may be difficult for us. God withdrew his spirit from Saul after repeated brazen disobedience on the part of Saul, and God allowed, not caused, but allowed Saul to embrace fully what he was not rejecting evil. Saul had many opportunities to repent. He had time to turn to God, but he turned to a witch. God was just in what he did, 
as God has always been right and just, even in those cases where the reader's first impression is otherwise, and where we may not perfectly understand. Knowing exactly what God did or having the details of providential mystery is not within our complete grasp. We know, however, that what God did was just because of all the background of Saul's rebellion against God. And this might be an excellent time for us to remember something written in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It is part of the story about Saul and David. It can help us with difficult passages, not only here, but in other places. It says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looked in the heart of Saul, knew perfectly what was there, and reacted in keeping with his perfect wisdom and will and justice. I'll say that again. God looked in the heart of Saul, knew perfectly what was there, and reacted in keeping with his perfect sense of wisdom and justice according to his will. What do I need to learn from the life of King Saul? I want to close with two practical lessons for us. One, if you are in a position of leadership or influence over people, don't let that go to your head. Elders, preachers, teachers, parents, if we hold some position of leadership or authority over people, we must be restrained by wisdom, always respectful of God and His will. We may be leaders in some sense here on earth, but we must be led. We are servants of the Most High God. Number two, I would never consider myself, you should never consider yourself in a position of authority at such a high level that overrides God's law. No, there is no such position. Again, elders, preachers, teachers, parents, government leaders, all of us are answerable to God and in subjection to His higher authority, even though we may have positions of influence and leadership here on earth. Finally, I should like to share with you the thoughts of an Australian writer who passed away in 1999, very prolific writer, J. Sidlow Baxter. He talks about how advantages do not guarantee success. I quote Baxter, We see that advantages are not in themselves the guarantee of success. Saul had many, yet he failed ingloriously. We dare not lean on them. We see also that wonderful opportunities do not in themselves crown men, nor even do special equipment immunize us from the possibility of getting out of the will of God and playing the fool. Baxter went on to describe this matter of playing the fool. He said, A man plays the fool when he neglects his best friends, as Saul neglected Samuel. A man plays the fool when he goes on enterprises for God before God sends him, as Saul did. 
A man plays the fool when he disobeys God in what he considers to be small matters. A man plays the fool when he tries to cover up disobedience by a religious excuse. A man plays the fool when he allows jealousy and hate to master and enslave him as Saul did. Oh, what warnings this man utters to us. And I will add, may God help us give heed to these warnings that are embedded in so many of these dramatic Old Testament narratives. Thank you for listening. We are the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, lhmacallen.org.